Hey there everyone, welcome aboard to another episode of this Between the Lines podcast. This is your host Mayuresh as always here to bring you some of the big stuff which happened across the weekend in European football. We will be taking a look at what happened in La Liga as it was first against second between Real Madrid and Girona at the Santiago Bernabeu. We'll also try to preview a little bit about what will happen in the Champions League games which will be taking place in this week and also next week. But there's only one place to start and that is in Leverkusen in the Bay Arena where Bayer Leverkusen absolutely thrashed Bayern Munich to go 5 points clear on the Bundesliga summit. Well, it finished by Leverkusen 3, Bayern Munich 0 at the end of the full-time whistle in the Rhineland at the Bay Arena in the big game of the season in the Bundesliga, of course. It was a massive, massive result in the context of where Bayern Munich are in their season and, of course, it makes the streak widen up for Bayer Leverkusen in terms of their unbeaten run. It's, it's, it's a fantastic job that Xabi Alonso has been doing and now Bayer Leverkusen have opened up the gap up to four points, is it, or not five points, they're on 55 right now, sitting at the top of the Bundesliga summit. And Bayern Munich are five points behind them, that means they're on 50 points, they've played the same amount of games. Of course, there is European competition for both these teams and we'll see how uh, that be, uh, becomes a catalyst in terms of making or breaking the season for either of these teams. But, you know, that's uh, that's for later discussion but we need to talk about this game and this was an absolute clinic put on by Xabi Alonso this was this was actually a lesson for every single young manager or anyone who aspires to become a football manager of how to have control without the ball on a football pitch and this was not against any team this was against the mighty Bayern Munich the the biggest the biggest team in Germany at this point in time in terms of stature in terms of prestige in terms of the silverware that they've had over the last 15, 20 years with the Champions Leagues and plethora of uh, Bundesliga titles and everything else. So it was it, it was a clinic posted up by Xabi Alonso, the Bayer Leverkusen manager, has been impressive this season so far. And we have talked about, I've talked on length about him being one of the best, best prospects around in world football in terms of uh, managers that anyone would like to hire alongside the likes of Ruben Amorim or even Thiago Motta from Bologna and all these other guys. But he's been the at the epicenter of everything good that's been happening around it by Leverkusen. And, you know, well, let's take a look at what happened in this game. And the first thing that was striking in this one, in, in this fixture, was even before the game was started, even before a ball was kicked. And that was because of the lineups and by Leverkusen they played it with a back three with two wing backs and three forwards we'll talk about it because Xabi Alonso also tinkered with his lineup a bit but the big question here was what was Thomas Tuchel doing because Tuchel changed his lineup it was a back three and I don't know if they have played back three this season at all but this was absolutely striking for me because there was no reason as to why a team like Bayern Munich irrespective of the circumstances a team like Bayern Munich, how the hell are you trying to replicate or how, you, how the hell are you trying to accommodate yourselves in terms of adjusting according to your opposition? I don't care any team that it is. It's, it's other thing that you're trying to improvise. But this was a clear case of Tuchel trying to adjust his team according to the way that Bayer Leverkusen was going to play. And this makes absolutely no sense on an ideological basis and also on a tactical basis because I know Tuchel liked to play a back three in his Chelsea days, but that was more because of the players that were around and not because of his own system. He's he's never had a set system, 
never at Mainz or, or at Dortmund or even at Paris Saint-Germain. He had a system at Chelsea because of the players that he had at his disposal. Not here at, not here at Bayern Munich because this is, this is a completely different scenario altogether. And if you look at it, that he played Kim, he played Upamecano, and he played Eric Dyer. And if I'm, I'm, then then he tried to play two wing backs in Sasha Boe and Nusar Mazrawi in terms of trying to match them pace pace to pace with, uh, and pace with pace and technique on either side because Mazrawi is a more technical player and he has that football brain to actually uh, tackle through. Uh, the the excellence of Alex Grimaldo has been on fire this season. And then you've got uh, Sasha Boe, who we have seen playing for Galatasaray, that he's a very, very pacey player. He's got trickery in there as well. But but he's a, he, his, main, his main acumen, his main arsenal uh, is his pace. And he's a very, very good player uh, bombing up and down the wing because we all know he played behind Hakim Ziyech. And Hakim Ziyech is not known for his striking back ability. So... That was one thing that was striking there. That he's tried to accommodate himself in a way that it suits, it, it suits to it suits to adjust with Bayern Munich. That that does not really sit well with me. As as a neutral, you look at it and you know it smells danger because he's already walking on thin ice here, Thomas Tuchel. Things have not been rosy for him. And it, if you look at it, if you if you compare the same scenario with with Julian Nagelsmann, who was ironically sitting. Um, Upstairs in the uh, in in the in in the VIP box or something like that. He he was there as well. But if you compare these two scenarios and Thomas Tuchel and and Julian Nagelsmann, Thomas Tuchel is is inherited a very chaotic situation right now, and and he is in a, he inherited a chaotic situation, and he's still uh, taking his time to to repair or mend that chaotic situation. It, as compared to Julian Nagelsmann, where it was an international break, it was everything was rosy. They had lost just three games. They came up. They, they went into the international break, ironically again, losing to Bayer Leverkusen. And I think it was a 2-1 result at the end of that game. It was at the Bay Arena with two goals scored by Ezekiel Palacios from the penalty spot or something like that. I think that was that game. And in that game... Uh, they lost it and they also lost two other games in the league at that time. I think one was against Augsburg in the mini Bavarian derby and the other one I cannot remember. But uh, I think those were the few games that they've lost. They, they, they lost. They were trying to think like, you know, the treble is in, is in danger and they tried to bring in Thomas Tuchel who would be the saviour, who would be their messiah to actually um, salvage their season, which was actually not really... Uh, at that time of at that point at that, at that melting point to be honest and then what happened they played against Freiburg they lost against Freiburg they played against Man City they lost against Man City and then they were handed up the Bundesliga title by Dortmund because they were not just interested in winning that title at the final day of the season um, but yeah you know it was it, it, it was what it is at, and it if you look at it, the situation that he's is inherited right now is more chaotic. You you look at what he is doing right now with with the playing style and stuff. It's not really helping it because with Bayern Munich there are such an uh, they've got such an obsession with the playing style and the way the team is constructed around the the patterns of play and everything that there are going to be parameters on which you're going to be measured on a severe basis. Now that you're trying to accommodate yourself in a way that it it suits and it adjusts according to the way Xabi Alonso and Bayer Leverkusen play, it's it's just 
is just downright disrespectful to your own culture in many ways. So I think that was a big story in many ways there. And if you look at the formation, Eric Dyer should not be starting a game like this. I mean, he's a good player. He was a good player for Tottenham. He was a very, very good servant for Tottenham. But let's be honest, it's, 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 not, really, it's not really Eric Dyer's place to be at Bayern Munich. It, it, it's, just a, it's just a poor transfer decision that's been made. You look at Sasha Boy, he should not be playing at left wing back. Nuzer Mazraoui has played his whole life in the Moroccan national team at playing at left back. He can play at left wing back and he can play Sasha Boy and give him the best chance to succeed. Or even if you if you want to play Nuzer Mazraoui at right back, you always had the option of playing Rafael Guerreiro at uh, at left wing back because he's an experienced player. He's he's done nothing wrong and I think he's he's had a lot of game time since uh, since the winter break in Germany. And I think he would have been the most sensible option in there. And then again, you uh, play a back three, which I'm not a big fan of. Back three does not really work at Bayern Munich that much. And we've, we've, we've witnessed it firsthand even in this game. But then you play a back three, which in turn, have, uh, which in turn forces you to play two midfielders in Goretzka and Pavlovich. It was not usually with Kimmich because... Kimmich was coming off an injury, but so was Upamecano. So why didn't he play Matthias Delict? That's, that's a completely different. Uh, that's that's a completely different narrative that he's setting up there. It's it, 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 it you can't help but think there are a lot of loopholes in there. But he plays Pavlovic, which does not help him because he was absolutely toasted by Xhaka and Robert Andrik in this game. And then you have Zane, you have uh, Muziala, and you have Harry Kane. So. Right now, he, he, he does not play Thomas Muller. Thomas Muller played the last game against Borussia Mönchengladbach in what was the original Classico, uh, Classico of, uh, of German football. And he played really well in that game. So there was no apparent reason as to why he should have been dropped in this game. So there, there are a lot of things that need to be answered pretty, pretty well by, by Thomas Tuchel because it just does not sit well with me that he is actually adjusting his style of play according to according to what Bayer Leverkusen needs. And again, what he was trying to do... Again, I'm a big fan of people trying to improvise, but you need to know. But you need to actually show people on what was what were you trying to do. No matter if it gets wrong or, or if it falls flat on your face. If you have conviction in your plan, if it at least has to have some sort of impression on the game that you're trying to play. But then... If you look at it, there was no conviction. There, there was nothing. It was just a, just 11 players put on the pitch. And it was like, you know what, figure it out. Figure it out yourself. As opposed to what Bayer Leverkusen did. You look at the Bayer Leverkusen lineup. And straight up, he did not. He, he benched two of his main players in there. One was a experienced player in, in, in Jonas Hoffman. Who he did not play. And he played instead of him. He played Amine Adli. Of course. And even Nathan Teller played in there. So you might have your pick on who was the guy who who should have missed out on Jonas Hoffman. But then again, he decided to not play Jonas Hoffman from the start. He also decided to not play Jeremy Frimpong from the start. So that was another decision because now you have Sasha Boe against... You presume that it's going to be Jeremy Frimpong, but then it was not. It was Josep Stanisic, who was ironically your own player, who your own board let, uh, uh, let go out and loan. And then you are playing Josep Stanisic in there. So that really nullifies the actual... New need for Sasha Boy to play at left wing back, but then you should have adjusted if you're Thomas Tuchel. But then he did not chose to. Bayer Leverkusen also had their own absentees in this game. They did not have Ezekiel Palacios. They did not have uh, the uh, uh, 
the threat of Victor Bonifacio, who actually dogged Dario Pemicano in the reverse fixture at the Allianz Arena. So there were a lot of narratives just in terms of the lineups in there. And let's be honest, the core lineup of Bayer Leverkusen was not the one that came up uh, on, on Saturday. The lineup is usually a, a, a 5 3 2 in where they were missing players like Kosunu, or from the starting lineup, of course. They were missing players like Kosunu, they were missing players like Palacios, Hoffman, Boniface, and Frimpong. That's five players missing out from five outfield players missing out. And the players who were in there, they did a commendable job. And look, let's look at the tactics. As I talked about this, in theory, it made sense for. Uh, for for Bayern Munich to go and match up with uh, with Bayern Leverkusen in theory I'm saying not with the with, with the context of this game but in theory they did not try to match up with this game but then you know Xabi Alonso improvised it on himself you look at the way they were trying to man mark uh, every single player from uh, from from Bayern from Bayern Leverkusen and they 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 made a theory about this and then. You look at what Bayer Leverkusen did. In the build-up, they were playing a back four. Grimaldo was always pushing in the midfield, making it a midfield three, and then actually actually pulling out Leroy Zane in field, which he had to because he was actually trying to mark out the wide areas and try to make an overload with himself and Nuzer Masrawi on the, at right wing-back. He was trying to make that sort of an impression over there, but Nuzer Masrawi was then... Actually, he had to play um, a lot more... A lot more wide, a lot uh, just alone with himself, and it, it was Piero Incapi who was the lone left back in terms because the the back four was stretched up, and it became Incapi, uh, Jonathan Tarr, uh and then it was Edmund Tapsoba and uh, Josef Stanisic. That was the back four. Grimaldo went in field and made it a midfield three, which in turn made it an overload in the midfield because Zane was Zane's lack of. Uh, Tracking back and his work rate meant that it was three versus two. And then the intelligence of Florian Wirtz sometimes meant that even when Zane was tracking in, it was a 4v3 with Wirtz, um, uh, Robert Andrik, uh, Granit Xhaka and Grimaldo against Pavlovich, Goretzka and Zane. And let's be honest, this, mid- this three of Bayern Munich, Zane, Goretzka and Pavlovich had a terrible game. They really had a terrible, terrible game. So every single time they were in possession, Lukas Radetzky was actually pinning the ball up uh, towards the left back, which was Piero Incapier, who had a free run. He used to drive with the ball, and that was actually giving them so much of uh, so much of freedom on that left hand side to build up. And because of the intelligence of uh, of, of the intelligence of Grimaldo, a lot of times, you know, Kim. Uh, who uh, Upamecano was playing as the right side of centre back, or even Eric Dyer was actually getting uh, out possessed, uh, uh, getting out of possession because Amine Adli used to switch onto the left hand side and Florian Wirtz used to take up the central role. So, in doing so, it was Grimaldo who was actually pushing beyond Nuzer Masrawi. That meant that there was a lot of space in behind Dyer uh, Upamecano, and that's what you saw for that first, uh, for that second goal, in where, you know, Hincapié was actually giving the decoy run, which takes out Nuzer Masrawi completely. And then you've got the lack of uh, tracking back from the midfield. Pavlovich is done for in this case. And then uh, it was a simple one-two when Nathan Teller drops him back. In this case, instead of Amini Adli, who's taking another position, he drops back. And there is there is significant lack of ideas of what's happening around that position in that left-half space of Bayer Leverkusen, where... 
uh, where Alex Romaldo makes that run and finishes it very well past uh, um, past Manuel Neuer. And that, that that's just a simple way to illustrate of how you just make a mockery of someone who is trying to copy you. It's, it's, it's just as simple as that. If you even look at the first goal, there's, there's just no excuses at that. Because I, I don't care if you are Sasha Boy and you're playing your first game for Bayern Munich. I mean, you could actually give him a pass for that, but you, you're playing for Bayern Munich. You need to be ready for that. And he has got no idea whatsoever of what's happening behind him. And Josip Stanisic just completely taps in the, uh, taps in the ball uh, past the helpless Manuel Neuer uh, in, the, in the back of the net to give it 1-0. Again, how is even Robert Andrik being able to drive with the ball at the edge of his area and actually pull up a cross? Even Dario Pemicano is, is, is very much incompetent in that, in, in that situation where he should have cleared the ball anyways. So there are, there are a lot of questions in and around these things that you, know, you, you, have to be, you, you have to be absolutely clear about because these are things where elementary mistakes and again a lot has to not go towards the manager you have to talk about your own your own failings as a team and then again i have to come up with thomas muller who went on an absolute rant absolute rant in this game he talked about a lot of things in this game and he talked about Bayer leverkusen being fantastic and they deserve the victory but the first thing that i would like to talk about thomas muller is that he should not be the guy who should be actually uh, talking about these games in the post-match interviews. He should not be the guy who should be held accountable to do these post-match interviews. It should be Manuel Neuer. I've, I've never seen Manuel Neuer do an interview after his team is lost. Thomas Muller, I, I know Thomas Muller, and, and this is a few reasons why, not few reasons, but these are the many reasons out of which why I love Thomas Muller so much. He bleeds Bayern Munich. He bleeds football. He bleeds the the heart and soul of this football club and he and, and, and there is no reason as to why he why he should not be the face of Bayern Munich and it's it's just it's just the inevitability of him being the guy who is the solution of all their problems he is someone who is not athletic he is not someone who is not uh, the silky footballer that you always associate with technically astute teams like Bayern Munich but he is someone who has the IQ. He is someone who, who knows about playing for Bayern Munich. He has the passion. He has the desire. He has the drive yet, even when he's 34. But still, he comes out there. He, he talks about everything. And one thing that really struck me was, you know, he, he talks about Grimaldo being in some, some space altogether. He, he talks about Grimaldo being on the right-hand side sometimes just to bamboozle the thoughts. And that's what... And that's because he has the imagination. He has the... He has the power, or say, for example, he has the courage to actually um, to actually look for solutions. There is no imagination in terms of you're, you're trying to do something and you, you just take a chance. You, you just take something accountable for yourself with, with the players that are on the field right now. Because, you know, when he talks about players from, uh, from, 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 from Bayer Leverkusen, they were ready to take a chance, but not from Bayern Munich, and, and he, he was not happy because they're experienced international footballers and you should be able to do these things and these things should actually not be not being told by the manager. You should yourself be accountable for these things to happen by yourself and I think that, that's a very good point that he makes there and of course there, there are, there are other, other, other things to actually uh, look forward to in this, uh, look back upon these games which were not really that good but of course... This is uh, this again 
paints an entirely different picture. And as I said before, it, it, it should not be Thomas Muller who should be talking about these things. I, I heard Harry Kane talk about it. And of course, there, 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 is, uh, there is accountability that he, that, he, that he gets it for. But there should be Leroy Zane coming out and speaking about this. There should be Leon Goretzka who should be coming out and speaking about this. There should be Manuel Neuer who should be coming out and speaking about this in that same passionate manner that Thomas Muller did. Because you, you guys are, first of all, you guys are German. And then you, 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 all, you, you guys are also the embodiment of what is Bayern Munich. And you have been there for a long time right now. And you, you have to help, hold yourself accountable. It should not be that guy. I know that the status of that guy, of Thomas Muller, is just... Is just Second to none, and in, in Bayern Munich, he's kind of the, he, he's kind of the, what do you say? He he is kind of the big man or whatever. He, he's Mister Bayern Munich or something. What they talk about him, but of course, he should not be that guy who who people uh, who, who should be uh, going on rants about these things. And really, it's it's just so. It's it's just so saddening to see someone like him, and and I, and I absolutely love Thomas Muller for what he is as a Bayern Munich uh, as a Bayern Munich player and what he embodies uh, in his own attitude and stuff. But it should it should not be in that way. Uh, but let's talk about what these what this game holds forward for, and this 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 is this is just a an absolute annihilation from Bayer Leverkusen, and we need to give them their flowers as well. Xabi Alonso has made this team an absolute force to reckon with and it's just not this season people forget what he did last season they were in the relegation zone last season and he got this team out of the relegation zone and he got him fighting for european places and he got them a european competition he got them the europa leagues so that's a very commendable job in itself and not just that he was also responsible for taking this team away to the champion to the europa league semi-finals and in that same season so he he knows how to navigate through a a cup competition as well. So it's 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 a commendable job that he's done. It's it's a fantastic job that he's done. Not just this season. It's it's coming from last season. He he is going to be in the DFB Pokal semi-finals, and it's a very favourable draw because they will be facing Fortuna Düsseldorf, who are currently seventh in the second uh, tier of German football. Uh, we're still waiting for the re- result of uh, uh, FC Saarbrücken and uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, which was a game which was supposed to be played last week uh, in that same bracket as the DFB Pokal quarterfinals, but of course it's not, and um, uh, we will we will see to it what happens uh, with that. But right now the focus has to be on the Bundesliga. They will play Hiddenheim. They will play uh, Wolfsburg in. Uh, in, in, in a very short period of time they uh, they did drop points against Borussia Mönchengladbach not so long ago but that was again a game where they should have they should have scored some goals and they should have uh, actually um, uh, I, I, I think I think they should have I, I think they should have scored some goals uh, they were just come up coming up with, against a, a team which was uh, which was made of 11 palm trees or something because they could not get through that game and that could happen sometimes but it was it was a fantastic display from Bayer Leverkusen throughout the season. They they, ha, they are they top the group in the Europa League, and uh, I think with the players that they have right now, they they have enough to actually to to actually not be knocked off their perch from the Bundesliga. I, I think I think they should be good enough to win the Bundesliga title. I I just hope that it is true. But as as you've been witnessing me, if if you have been listening to this podcast for at least a year or two, you might be familiar with my saying that it is the hope that kills you when it comes to the German Bundesliga and it, it I just feel that this should not be the time that the hope that kills it because 
it's been such a brilliant story in all honesty and it deserves a good ending it, it deserves a good ending for Xabi Alonso for the work that he's put through in an ideal world I would like him to have another season at Bayer Leverkusen and if he does well I think he if he goes well in the Champions League he should have some investment because there will be players that leave Bayer Leverkusen at the end of the season especially guys like Jeremy Frimpong is definitely going to definitely going to go away because of the new deal that he signed it there is a release clause of around 40 45 million euros in that de- in in that new deal so he will be leaving i can only imagine florian wirtz also leaving this club at the end of the season he's he's a bright young player but he's he's just fantastic isn't he uh, even guys like Ezekiel Palacios, there might be suitors for him. There might be there. There are easily going to be uh, people coming in for guys like Piero Incapi and Edmund Tapsoba. So there is a lot of players that might just be leaving by Leverkusen at the end of the season. So the, he might need some investment if he stays for another another season. And I would like to see him. I think build another by Leverkusen side before he leaves this club because he's done a fantastic job at this club and he, he's got nothing to prove to anyone because of course the. There is that character test of every single coach when he is under the pump, when he is under a bit of pressure. That's not happened really with uh, with Xabi Alonso in his entire transition period as a coach from the Real Madrid B team to coaching the Real Sociedad U team, and then coming to Jean- then coming to Bayer Leverkusen. It's been a smooth transition for him to actually learn his own trade, and he has been so very seamless in actually implementing his own standards, his own philosophy into his own, uh, in, into the, into every single team. So very seamlessly. And it's, it, it, it has been a fantastic um, turnaround for him in these past two years of all these accumulation of, of, of jobs that he's done. It's, it's been a fantastic, uh, it's, it's, it, it, he's actually built a fantastic repertoire for himself. So I think that's where he's left himself right now. He, it it is in his own hands right now to win all all the trophies. I couldn't care care less about uh, the Europa League. That that's something that you take game by game. But right now, the things that are in front of him is the Bundesliga and the DFB Pokal. DFB Pokal is not really something that he needs to be looking after right now. That it will come after the international break in March. So he will. They will be playing. I think they will be after the round of sixteen games in the Europa League. So. Those games are all to be happening, and then you've got that one game at home, especially at home. The DFB Pokal semi-final is going to be at home at the Bay Arena against Fortuna Düsseldorf. So I think they should be, uh, they should be actually good enough to go through the, the game against Stuttgart. By the way, in the midweek as well, they were fantastic. The the, the commitment and the the fight-back spirit that they showed against a very difficult side in Stuttgart are doing well domestically this season. As again, a very, very good job that he's doing. It, it just shows up. And again, I need to mention someone here. Jonathan Tarr, he's been fantastic this season. I think he's been actually one of the top five centre-backs in Europe, not just with the output that he's, con- uh, that he's generating defensively, but offensively as well. He's been a menace to handle. He scored a fantastic goal at the weekend. He, he actually conjured a very good save out of Manuel Neuer at the end of the first half, where it was a towering header, which Neuer had to tip over his bar. So... He's been fantastic so far this season, and again, he, he, that's 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 just reflection of what the job that Xabi Alonso has done. He's he's turned this team a a a, a decent enough, or not not so de- not so good team on set pieces into a very very uh, strong team or a, a very dangerous team on set pieces. And I think you you only have to give him his due flowers. And I think for him, I, I, 
I just hope for the betterment of this Bundesliga uh, for, for this entire German league that, that Bayer Leverkusen keeps up with it and really does win a Bundesliga title at the end of the season. But then again, it is the hope that kills you. So we'll see what happens. As far as Bayern Munich are concerned, it's, um, it's been a car crash of a season. There are a lot of narratives, as I said. Thomas Tuchel inherited a club which was a house on fire. It is, it is, it is Hollywood FC and everything. All, all those things that come come with it. It's, it's just, it's just part and parcel of being a Bayern Munich coach. You have to um, keep up with the politics, and of course, you are going to be a massive part of the society when you are a Bayern Munich manager. Some things about uh, some of these things did not really suit, did not really sit well with uh, with Julian Nagelsmann, and we all know how that ended. But then you are the one who was actually. You, you you were the one who was actually being responsible to actually, um, uh, what do you say? You, you you were actually responsible to take over from Nagelsmann and actually drive that same momentum throughout the end of the season, but you you failed with it. You're getting another chance, and you are actually nowhere near close to winning the Champions League, which is the only competition that you can actually have your eyes on right now. Because whatever you do in the Bundesliga, you have to depend on what the result is from uh, from from the game at Bayer Leverkusen and you still have to play teams like Dortmund i think they have to play them at home so that would be fine and the Dortmund will absolutely they'll they'll pull Dortmund's fans i'm i'm absolutely sure about that and then you've got RB Leipzig which is going to be a which is going to be a dodgy dodgy game at the at the Allianz Arena itself you you still got to play Stuttgart you still got to play a couple of other teams which which not that good enough, but I can see them dropping points again in the Bundesliga. So I cannot help but think they are going to be behind when the second leg comes up against Lazio as well. So there is going to be a massive cloud over over the future of of Thomas Tuchel. And let's be honest, Julian Nagelsmann, the, the main reason why Julian Nagelsmann was sacked from from Bayern Munich is because is because he was not really having good relationships with some of the big-name players in the team. Now, when Thomas Tuchel comes in there, he is not having good relationships with the likes of Thomas Muller, which is probably the biggest personality in that dressing room right now. I think he's got good relationships with uh, Manuel Neuer, but not with Thomas Muller. He does not have a good relationship with Alfonso Davies and Matthias de Ligt and Leon Goretzka, who seem to have fallen out with everyone and anyone. And then... Joshua Kimmich and all these other guys if, if you look at it if you look at the face of it some of the players that have got good relationships with him um, probably Dario Pemicano Neuer maybe Kane or Leroy Zane I think he, he likes Zane so Leroy Zane maybe Matisse Tell as well but yeah that, that's about it and you're not really building build, build, building it you're not really pulling any trees but Doing these stuff, and again, the likes of Alfonso Davies, Joseba Kimmich, they are really very much linked to clubs in that same stratosphere as Bayern Munich are. So they might be losing some of the key players to teams who actually would be their who would be the realistic challengers in the Bundesliga. So I don't know what what this entire fiasco is, but they need to sort these things out as well. With with I'm, I'm talking about the Bayern Munich board, and it's 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 just a it's just a complete and utter, uh, an utter mess that we are witnessing right now at Bayern Munich, which should not actually be a case with with a, with a team of this stature. 
I know Christoph Freund has come out and said after that after this game that you know what we're not going to we're not going to sack uh, Thomas Tuchel. His job is not under immediate danger. But we all know that this is a result oriented business, and if you don't get results, you 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 might just be out of you you might just be out of your job sooner rather than later. Of course, they have got a game against Lazio coming up at the Stadio Olimpico in Rome. That will be in the Champions League. So. Lazio did win their last game. That was against Cagliari. They have been at a very good, decent run of fixtures. They have been pulling up decent results. Of course, the Spanish, uh, the Italian Super Cup did not go as per their plan. They also lost to Inter in the midst of this run. But they have been pulling up decent results. They are a good side. Not really been at their top form. They were very good last season. But this season, they've just tailed up. So we'll we'll have to see. I think I think we, there there is the jury is still out for Thomas Tuchel, and in many ways I do not see him being the Bayern Munich boss next season. So there is a lot of things to get sorted out. But as far as Thomas Tuchel goes, and Bayern Munich go in in general, they they they're really they're really a house on fire. They're really a they're really a team which which are going to give us a lot of storylines to talk about. That that's that that's. That's that's taking nothing away from how poor they have been this season, ideologically and also stylistically and culturally. With all that is to do with a Bayern Munich style of play, they have not been up to the races, and we'll just see what happens. I think that there is a lot of things to look forward to Bayern Munich, not in a good way, especially, but you know, in terms of if you're a content creator or a story writer, there there is a lot of things to look forward to. So it was not just first against second in the Bundesliga, it was also first against second in La Liga, where Girona travelled away to the Santiago Bernabeu, where they played Real Madrid. And Real Madrid won the game by four goals to nil. It was a very, very comprehensive victory for Real Madrid. And of course, there has to be questions about the league. There has to be questions about Jude Bellingham's injury and all the other things. But you have to, you have to, first of all, actually thank Carlo Ancelotti for the job that he's done as a Real Madrid fan I am in debt for Carlo Ancelotti and I talked about this last season at length that I do not want Carlo Ancelotti to be sacked because of some of the things that he possesses it's not about stylistic football or anything with Real Madrid it's a result oriented job here as well but and you're not a stylistically obsessed club you're not a club which is obsessed with their own identity it is just a matter of getting results and the players are so much uh, what do you say they they're so much mature enough to actually ride on that confidence it's it's just incredible and you look at it Real Madrid have lost just two games this entire season one and both have been away to Atletico Madrid at the Civitas Metropolitano so you, you can see a pattern in there and they've just lost one game inside 90 minutes that was that was back in September we're right now in February so again it's a fantastic job that Carlo Ancelotti has done and as a Real Madrid fan you can only only thank him for being there with with the midst of all these injuries and stuff. So let's talk about this game. It was a 4-4-3, a 4-4-2 for Real Madrid, a 4-4-2 diamond with Camavinga, Cruz, Valverde and Bellingham in that midfield four. Mondi, Carvajal, Chouameni and Lucas Vasquez as a, as a back four with Andre Lunin, who's been fantastic all season long whenever he's played in, in, in between the sticks and then you've got Vinicius and Rodrigo but this was on paper on the pitch it was Vinicius on the far left Rodrigo on far right and you had Bellingham up top then you had the midfield three of Valverde, Cruz and Camavinga 
and then the back four, as I stated before. And then with uh, with Girona, they had their own absentees as well. They did not have Daly Blin. Of course, Daly Blin is not the most fastest player on the pitch, but um, he is someone who is who who is who has got a very high IQ. We've seen that with Ajax on on a number of occasions. We've seen that whenever he's played for the Dutch national team, uh, especially in the recent past. So he was a miss, and so was Ander Herrera. So those two were. Big misses, and in many ways, I also thought Artem Dobrik, who was playing up top, was not really at his full, uh, was not at his full fitness levels, and in many ways, that is, that is acceptable. That is actually, uh, that, that that's excu- excusable. You know, in a big game like this, you actually shove in your best players and see if it works out, and it did not work out. Uh, in in many ways, the the way that, uh, and also especially they played, I, I think they played. Uh, Juan Pe in that in that central back position who had a terrible game in many ways, uh, but yeah, as I said, the way Girona play, they play with a back three. They have Savio on the far left hand side, and they have Jan Kuto who plays on the far right hand side. They attack with five players, and those two are the most wide players. And then you have Miguel Gutierrez who makes an inward run from the inside channels as and actually a, a box to box midfielder, but he actually tucks in back as the fifth uh, fifth defender on that far left hand side. So. That's where he. That's where he comes in from, and then you've got Siganko from that same area on that right hand side, actually overloading the midfield sometimes, making it a three with Ander Herrera and Alex Garcia, who has been one of the best players around in in Spain in terms of the midfield, uh, in in as far as the midfielders are concerned. And so that's how actually uh, Girona play with their strike man up top with Artem Dobrik, who's been fantastic, and they've got good options off the off the bench as well with the likes of Stuani and stuff. So. They're a good side. They're a, they're a decent side. They, they actually were in many ways robbed uh, of, uh, of of a very good victory away to away to Real Sociedad last weekend. And of course, the suspension of Ander Herrera does not help. But um, yeah, it is what it is. You have to cope up with it, and so did Real Madrid. We coped up with the injuries and the absentees very well, as compared to the as compared to that of Girona. I think the way. This game panned out. I think the the way the game stand uh, st- started up, I I had a few of uh, I, I had a few nerves because you know what this is a classic game where you know nothing goes right for us. Girona are a team which are playing as underdogs, and you know what they've got nothing to lose in this game. And in many ways, they started up with that same philosophy. With they had nothing to lose. They had they started up with absolutely no fear. They tried to knock the ball around with Alex Garcia being at the heart of their possession. And uh, out of nowhere, there was a goal by Vinicius Junior. That was an amazing, an absolute belter of a goal by Vinicius. And it's just, it, it was just amazing. He, he, he was just, he, he just, I don't know how to describe it. it. It was just fantastic the way the goal went in. You, you cannot, you cannot put more adjectives or more superlatives towards it because. That was just a fantastic uh, strike from from Vinicius, and then the second goal as well, and even the third goal, and then the fourth goal. In every single goal, he was uh, he was involved. There was could have been a fifth goal in which he wouldn't have been uh, he wouldn't have been involved. But anyways, who cares about that now? But the second goal as well, the pass outside of his foot. I think Luka Modric would have been mighty proud of that uh, of that ball which he played in. The ball goes in behind the defense. Eric Garcia's got no idea what's happening behind him. It was a fantastic finish from Jude Bellingham. I mean, he, 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 is he even a midfielder? He plays as a midfielder. And just 
just for the context that people think that he's a centre forward. No, he's not a centre forward. He he played as a false nine. He plays as a number ten. He plays as a midfielder. He plays as a midfielder. He helps team in the middle of the park. He had two entries in the box. He had two shots on goal and he scored two goals. That's clinical. That's efficiency from Jude Bellingham. He's not the centre forward. Just get your get just get this thing in your thick heads. He's not a centre forward. And let's just get this thing straight. Let's just get this thing out in the open. Jude Bellingham is playing his first season at a club of the magnitude of Real Madrid. This is his first season. He's playing in a position where he's never played before with players that he's never played before. Albeit, he's playing with better players than he's played before, whether it be at Birmingham City or even um, Dortmund. I'm not even taking into context the England national team because that's Real Madrid exceed the England national team. That's, that's just not up for debate. So he's playing with better players in there, but still... As a midfielder to get 20 goals this season, given the fact that we're still in February, he's got 28 goal contributions this season. And just it's taking nothing away from, uh, from, from what he's done as a midfielder. He has done a lot of job that it, that it was not required to do, but of course it was required to do, but you know he was not really designed to do that job. But he's done that so efficiently. He's done that so very well that... Again, he's become the apple of everybody's eyes, and also from my eye, but he's exceeded so many expectations. It makes sense of this thing. You're seeing greatness here. You're absolutely seeing greatness here. And let's say, for example, he, he plays for Real Madrid for the next 10 or 15 years. He will be... He, I, th- I think even if he plays at this level for at least the next four or five years, he might just he might just exceed the legacy of what Zidane had put here. Because... As as a player, as a manager, it, it's just it's it's just amazing legacy. It, it you you cannot really replicate that. It, it you have to actually be that sort of a guy to replicate Zidane's you know, managerial legacy. But again, he might just be that guy who surpasses Zidane's legacy so very easily and so very quickly as a player. But then again, it's just not Bellingham. That's uh, that's caught my attention. If you look at every single player in this team, you look at Rodrigo, you talk about his output and his goal scoring numbers and all these other things. But the thing that he does, he tracks back so well, he does so many good things so very efficiently and he does not complain about things. That's something that you, you look at as at, at, in, with Real Madrid and every single time you had guys like Miguel Gutierrez and Savio, he was actually tracking those guys back Um uh, on, on the pitch, uh, Rodrigo, I'm talking about. Even Vinicius, he was tracking the runs of Jan Kuto, and he, the fourth goal came with it. He he won the ball off Jan Kuto, and then Rodrigo went on the run and scored an absolute, um, absolutely amazing goal. That as well, and that shows the confidence that these guys embody in themselves right now at this current moment in time. And so, there is a lot to look forward to. There is a lot to look forward to Real Madrid, and I'm I'm just talking about these players, and I'm not even uh, pointed out at players like Kroos and Camavinga and. And Valverde, who were, who were again amazing, Camavinga. I, I I cannot wrap my head around the fact that Camavinga is not getting regular game time. He's not getting starting minutes for Real Madrid. That that's 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 criminal. And and Ancelotti cannot help himself because he's got Mendy playing at left back, who's done a fantastic job. There is no reason as to why Mendy should be shoved out of the team. There is no reason as to why you can. I mean, Kroos is untouchable, and so is Valverde. Then you've got Chuameni, who is actually the number six of this team. He's not playing now, playing as a makeshift centre back. So you're actually spoiled for options. There's a there's an embarrassment of riches in the midfield, and that's the reason why Kamavinga has not been able to play regularly in the starting eleven. 
So the, the way Camavinga, in my, in my honest opinion, I think Camavinga was the best player on the pitch. It was not Bellingham, it was not Vinicius. In my opinion, it was Camavinga. And I've been on this Camavinga hype train since the last two years. And I'm, I'm, I'm being vindicated long before. And it's, it's, been, it's been a joy to watch Camavinga. And I just hope that he, he becomes a regular starter. Not just not at, at the expense of any other player in the team, but he finds his own place in the team. I think... He's such an important player of this entire puzzle at Real Madrid. It's it's it just looks sad to me that he does not play regularly uh, for 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 Real Madrid uh, in the starting eleven. But that's but that's about Real Madrid, and they are going to be playing in the Champions League away to uh, RB Leipzig in Germany, and that game will be today. And I don't know what what it is going to be. I I've, I've heard that Nacho is going to be back for this game, and I think that would be. A massive, massive help for us because 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 that 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 really sorts out a somewhat of a problem because then you've got Nacho and Chouameni as the centre backs. Carvajal will move on to right back and Camavinga will still keep his place in my opinion. And then you've probably got the same eleven, but then Jude Bellingham is injured, which we will talk about. But yeah, I think I think that that will be the that will be the case, and I think it will be good enough to beat uh, good enough to beat RB Leipzig. Um, as far as um, as far as Jude Bellingham goes, he has suffered uh, somewhat of an injury in his knee or something. I don't know, but that's going to keep him out till three weeks. And uh, yeah, it's 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 sad. It, he might just be back in time before the game uh, at home against Leipzig. So I hope him a speedy recovery. We need him. We really need him because we have been hit badly by injuries. And I just hope that we go with we go free of injuries. We, we're devoid of injuries from now until the end of the season because our board hasn't helped Carlo Ancelotti one bit in this transfer window because they could have easily taken off Rafael Varane off Manchester United and he would have been more than happy to come come here and help us from and from until now until the end of the season. Or even you know taking Matthias the league because he's not really happy about their at Bayern Munich himself. So there could have been more than one way of sorting this stuff out but they've chosen not to go with anyone and they're going to be waiting until the end of the season so let's see what happens uh, with it but uh, yeah uh, with Bellingham's injury there will be more minutes for Brahim Diaz who was amazing in that game against Atletico de Madrid we saw some minutes for Arda Guler who also uh, won a penalty in this game there might be also some minutes for Hosselu so these three are the main three guys who will be auditioning for some minutes in the game against RB Leipzig. Um, I think it is going to be Brahim Diaz who will be the most uh, likely of all these guys to to have some minutes under his belt. But, um, you know, it might be Hoslu as well. I think the, the unlikeliest of them a lot is going to be Arda Guler and he needs to make sure that he makes a lot of those minutes that he gets. Of course, there were some, there were some uh, suggestions that he was also being asked to asked to take the penalty by Chouameni, but Hosilu was adamant that he was going to take it, and he missed it. So I'm, I'm just not happy about it. I would have rather him score that penalty, but he did not. Um, but yeah, it is what it is right now. He, it's, um, it is a victory. We are five points clear of Girona. That means, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a bad advertisement to the league. And let's just, um, let's just end this, uh, end this uh, segment on this note. Uh, and maybe let's talk a bit of Girona as well. So, um, Girona, as I said, um, they're the second in the league. They're five points behind Real Madrid. There are a lot of suggestions right now. There is a narrative being posted around, not just on social media, but also on Spanish radio and Spanish television, that you know this might be the catalyst that uh, 
does not allow them to finish the season strongly. A result like this might just derail the season completely. And I know that they've just got the um, the league to focus on. They're out of uh, out of the Copa del Rey. They're not playing in European football. But this might be the result that just completely derails the season. And I and I refuse to acknowledge that because what we saw in the first in the reverse fixture at uh, uh, I, I don't know what this uh, at, at the Montelivi uh, in in Girona. They lost 3-0. And it was, again, it was earlier in the season. And they, again, built up momentum. They were a team that nobody wanted to face. And, of course, they're going to face um, stuffer tests. They're, uh, they're going to face challenges ahead in the season as well. But they're going to play away. They're going to play at home against Barcelona and uh, Atletico de Madrid. So that's going to be interesting. That's going to be uh, that's gonna be challenging in many ways for them. But uh, I refuse to acknowledge that, that this might be the the time that they get absolutely derailed of their purge. But um, you cannot really help but think that in many ways this can also react in the way that the narrative has been facing. They might just be they might just get crumbled under their own expectations. And again, you know, being at the top of the league is something that uh, being at being where they are right now is in itself is a commendable job that Michel has done with this with his team. And there are, as I said, very, I mean, you you can actually uh, you can you can actually be lost for superlatives for the job that he has done, and I actually pulled up uh, some of the some of the young managers in there. You can also add in Michel in there, and also Imanol uh, Alguacil, who I absolutely love, and Real Sociedad. But yeah, it, it's it's it it is what it is with these with these sort of situations in where you have got a certain amount of uh, inevitability of you being. You, you've been falling off your own perch, but I think I think there is a lot of optimism about about Mitchell and Girona at this point in time. But let's see what happens. I think there is there is a lot of uh, lot of good things to look after. They will be losing some of their players again this season, as they did last year. Uh, I think they lost Orion Romeo. They also lost a few players. They also lost uh, uh, Rodrigo Riquelme, who joined. Atletico Madrid from uh, from the squad that they had last year. So they, they faced adversities last season. They made some good signings. Eric Garcia has been looking at a very as a very good player. Yeah, he did make mistakes in the game against Real Madrid, but that could happen to anyone. It's not the first time that he's made mistakes against Real Madrid. It's not the last time that he will make mistakes against Real Madrid. He did not play well even last time that he came with Barcelona at Real Madrid. So. Of course, he's not a good defender, but he's he's made to play in a certain way that he that he makes himself effective, and again, that's that's down to Michel and his coaching and his and and his tactical brilliance. But then again, you have got good players in this in in this team, and you might just make something out of the season, just end the season pretty well. I think qualifying for the Champions League is something nobody would have thought. Fighting for the title, being being in a position where it is first versus second against Real Madrid and you are the second best team in La Liga is something that would have been out of their imagination at the start of the season. So this is actually something that they should enjoy being. There should not be any pressure on Michel or even on those players from internally. But yeah, they should have some of some sort of hope that they might just sneak out something in this in this league and there, if there is some slither of an hope. Anything could happen. They might just hope for Real Madrid to lose some of the other game. They should hope for us to lose against Barcelona or something like that in a free game uh, anyways. But 
you know, there should be somewhat of an optimism in, in between their, that group as well. Um, but yeah, I would like to talk about La Liga in, in, uh, in a general terms here. If the league is actually advertising a game between Girona and Real Madrid as the biggest clash of the second half of the season, the league is in, it, it, it's in dire straits in, in many ways. Of course, there is, uh, the, the, there is a lot of narratives about the league and how, it is, how, how financially it, it's, become, uh, it's become devoid of, of, of good teams actually trying to pull up big players from the market. But anyways, if, if you're advertising first versus second between Girona and Real Madrid, there is something fundamentally wrong with the, with, with the allocations or with the, um, what do you say, with, with the... With, with the what do you say with, with with the endorsement of your league in itself it's 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 just something is wrong and then as la liga if you have real madrid who are at the top of the league they are beating the second best team in 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 spain by four goals to nil albeit at home by having a center uh, by having a right back by, by having a back four of basically someone who is going to leave at the end of the season in Ferran mondi Someone who actually plays as right back and has been bullied by a lot of players in league and in the Champions League playing as right back and he's now playing as centre back. Then you've got someone who plays as a central defensive midfielder who's also playing as centre back and then you've got someone who finds himself comfortable playing on the right wing is playing at right back. That's four players playing as a makeshift back four and and that team is actually beating the second best team in La Liga by four goals to nil. That is a wrong advertisement for the league. There's something to look forward to here for Javier Tebas. He needs to sort this thing out. He needs to sort his stuff out with Barcelona as well because obviously we saw what happened with Barcelona this uh, this weekend as well. They they could have lost the game against Granada. They were awful against Granada, really. And people, and Xavi was actually trying to uh, release the narrative of uh, the change in dynamic after he announces his departure from the club. There is There is no sense of change in dynamic if you are... Uh, playing this shambolically against a team which is second from bottom in the league and you're playing them at home. Of course, there is Montjuic, but you're still playing at home with better players and your only ray of hope is a 16-year-old. That, that's, that, it, there is serious, serious um, uh, things to look, look at in, in a very microscopic way here for Javier Tebas and not just for Javier Tebas, for all these other guys as well. Even you look at Atletico Madrid who lost against Sevilla at the weekend, there are a lot of things to get sorted out and they need to be sorted out pretty, pretty early because these things can only get nastier by the day. And we don't want to see that as, 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 as an advertisement for La Liga. These are not the right things that you want to look forward to. As, as far as a Real Madrid fan, I'm just happy that my team is winning the league. But as far as La Liga goes, there has to be some tough questions that need to be answered for Javier Tebas and these other clubs, which are also seemingly the big clubs in Spain. So the Champions League round of 16 starts from today and uh, we will be taking a look at what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks in the Champions League round of 16 as we are going to be done with this first leg. I might not be doing a podcast at the end of uh, this week's fixtures, but I will be definitely doing a podcast after we are done with the round of 16 next week. I might also be doing some uh, thing about the Europa League as well, but who cares about the Europa League? We only care about the Champions League. So let's take a look at this week's fixtures. And uh, we have Man City taking a trip to FC Copenhagen in Denmark. And uh, I think Man City will get this wrapped up in the first leg itself. 
Um, I think it will be another game where Kevin De Bruyne comes back to complete match fitness. I think it's a good game to have him match fit. You give some of the guys a, a good a good run in the team. Um, the game against Everton was not that great. Um, never enjoyed that. Not, never enjoyed that game. But uh, yeah, I, I'm really not interested in this game. It might be a snooze fest, anyways. Uh, Man City to win it. I don't care what the scoreline is. The next game is Real Madrid against uh, against RB Leipzig, and yeah, it 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 will be again something that I'm really looking forward to because of the injuries that that Real Madrid have. But again, I think if this this could be an absolute cracker and uh, Nacho and as we are, as we all know, Nacho and Chouameni or even anyone uh, playing in that centre back position for Real Madrid, they have been not good enough with dealing with crosses and with Benjamin Sesko being being as good as he is. In the last couple of games, he's actually scored three goals in a go- three goals in three consecutive games. So who knows what could happen in the Champions League when they meet up next? Uh, so I still believe Real Madrid will have enough to get through this game, and I think it will be a two-one scoreline at the end of the full-time whistle in the Red Bull Arena in Leipzig. Uh, the other game of this weekend will be. Uh, will be Bayern Munich against Lazio at the Estadio at the Estadio Olimpico in Rome and Lazio been doing well they have been on a good string of results but Bayern Munich they are a house on fire I mean logic says that this might be a Bayern Munich victory but I'm going for a nervy one all draw in this game for the first leg yeah a nervy one all draw let's keep this thing a bit more ignited for the second leg and not just just completely busted open uh, for Bayern Munich in the first leg itself. I'm going for a one-all draw at the end of the full-time whistle in Rome. Uh, the last game from this week uh, in the Champions League is going to be a massive blockbuster between Paris Saint-Germain and Real Sociedad. And this will be in the Parc des Princes in Paris. And this is potentially in a banana skin. And this is one of the best games from this round of 16 ties. I think from the first leg, it is going to be a, it's, it's going to be an entertaining two-all draw. I've said it. Uh, Tanker Fusakuba will be back for El Sociedad. They have been very, very good in the league. They have come up with a very strange string of results. But Paris Saint-Germain, we all know, they define themselves in positions where they throw things away in the Champions League. Although they won very well against Lille at the weekend, they, they rested a few of the key players. Uh, they had guys like Lucas Beraldo playing in there. I mean, they played... Ugart as the sole number six. They played with four, five forwards or something. Gonzalo Hubs scored a goal for himself as well. So that's good to see. Kylian Mbappe was resting. Dembele played. And I don't know how he's playing right now at Paris Saint-Germain. But they played really well against Lille. Um, I looked at the highlights. I looked a bit of that game as well. But yeah, I think there will be um, there will be interesting stuff in this game happening. And I'm rooting for La Real Sociedad to actually actually beat uh, Paris Saint-Germain of the two legs. And I believe it will be a very, very interesting two-all draw for Real Sociedad at the end of the full-time whistle at the Parc des Princes. Uh, in the next week, we will also be having some Champions League games. And uh, prominent among those are going to be Porto against uh, Arsenal. That will again be a very, very interesting game. Arsenal have picked up pace. They are, they are a team in good form. They absolutely annihilated West Ham at the weekend. Um, but yeah, there is a lot to look forward to if you're a Porto fan as well. They lost at the weekend, of course. Uh, that means that Sporting will have a chance to swell up the lead against Benfica. Of course, they 
they absolutely battered uh, Braga at the weekend by five goals to nil, but they have a game in hand against Benfica. So, of course, and Porto are just falling behind. Sergio Conceição, by the looks of it, has been offered uh, the job at Barcelona, but that's something that we will talk about next week. Uh, um, but yeah, Porto against Arsenal at the Dragao. Um, I don't know. This, this is going to be a tough one. I'm going for a Porto victory. I'm, I'm going for a Porto victory. A 2-0 victory for Porto away at home at the Dragao against Arsenal. Arsenal are very inexperienced side. Porto are a side who are experienced in these situations. They will play a dirty game. And Arsenal, I'm not so sure, are accustomed to play this sort of a game. Um, especially with this personnel that they have right now. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a dirty 2-0 game for, for Porto. And I think they will get the victory in there for the first leg. Uh, the other game, I think it's going to be Barcelona against Napoli. Napoli, of course, lost against Milan at the weekend uh, by a goal to nil. But um, I, I see very less conviction between both these teams. I'm going for a one-all draw for this game. It's it's just it's just it's just very weird this game, and I don't know who is going to win it. But whoever is going to win it is going to buy him, their manager a bit of a time. Uh, from now until the end of the season. I think Walter Mazzari has been really awful this season as a replacement for Rudy Garcia. I believe Rudy Garcia was much better than what Walter Mazzari, Walter Mazzari is actually dishing out to, 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 to the Napoleon fans. Um, but then again, we have to talk about the other games. And uh, the big game, I think the most even game of all of these fixtures is going to be Atletico Madrid against Inter. Inter, of course, winning that brilliant game, that very interesting game at the uh, at the Estadio Olimpico in in the rain. Uh, it was a very damp night at in, in Rome, and they won it by four goals to two. They were fantastic in the second half, and I think I hope for the same. I think they're the, they are the most informed team alongside Man City and Arsenal and Real Madrid in this title uh, in in this Champions League uh, currently, and I think. With the first leg being at the uh, Giuseppe Miazza, I will give them. I will give them all three points. I, I, I would say they win the game by uh, not not all three points, but I, I I think they will win there. And with Atletico Madrid being in a very indifferent form, I see them going out of this. Comp- uh, I see them going out of this competition in this round of sixteen itself. Inter to win it by by three goals to one in the first leg. Um, the final game, I. I, I I'm starting to forget about it. It is it is Pierce Eindhoven against Borussia Dortmund, and again, Dortmund. Uh, well, they, they they played really well at the weekend. They won three uh, nothing in a, in a, in a, in a very decent enough. There was just nothing in this game. I mean, of course, uh, it's it's good for Dortmund, but it's very unusual for me to see that. But uh, yeah, all's good, but that ends. It's. Um, as I said, it's it's going to be a tricky one at PSV. I know they've not lost a game yet this season in the Eredivisie, so that's good for them. Um, yeah, it's going to be in Netherlands, so I think there will be somewhat of a hostile atmosphere. They're doing well under Peter Bosch, and of course there is some, some of that uh, storylines between Peter Bosch and Borussia Dortmund, who was their former head coach. There will be some... They're, they're, they've got some good players in that team, you know. Luke De Jong has been very, very good. Uh, he's been in very good form this season as a strike man. So let's see what happens. I'm going for a 2-1 victory for PSV Eindhoven at home. That's what I think will happen. Um, I've I've got a record of not having good predictions, but let's see how these predictions come up with. Um, that's it from me today. Be sure to check into my other podcast. I will be doing a podcast after the first leg of this Champions League is done. Until then... 
uh, you might be interested in looking after my Twitter and my Instagram account. It is weeklypod underscore OTT on Twitter. Uh, be sure to check into my Twitter, uh, into my tweets. And it's weeklypod.ott on Instagram. Be sure to ping me there as well to drop down your queries. And uh, until next week, this was a host of my race. Thank you very much. Cheerio.